Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kid Kong at the Movies. I am once again your host, Kid Kong, and I'm going to apologize if I seem a little less hyped than I usually am at the beginning of one of these episodes. With the week and weekend we've had, I've actually only just now been able to sit down and record this, and it is 9 o'clock in the morning, about four hours before the episode is supposed to drop. So, it's going to be a little more lowdown. But I will be waking up as we go. So who knows? I may end up fired up as all hell once by the time this episode's over. We'll see. It's actually a little appropriate that I'm beginning this episode in, the, in such a way. Because today's episode is on the 1995 cult classic, Friday. This is a movie that is important in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, it can be looked at as the other side of a coin, as it were, because another movie starring Ice Cube that takes place in the hood, while it has some comedic moments, is largely a, I don't know if I should say darker or if I should say bleaker, but it's a different look at the life in the hood, and that's Boys in the Hood. And you can almost look at Friday as the other side of that coin, the more light-hearted you know, fun stuff that happens in the hood kind of kind of movie. This is directed by F. Gary Gray. Now, this is actually F. Gary Gray's very first feature film that he's ever directed. He's done a lot of music videos for guys like Ice Cube, Dre, Outkast, TLC. But after this movie, he was able to get more actual, like, cinematic films, including Set It Off, The Negotiator, the remake of The Italian Job, and probably the most successful movie after Friday that he has directed straight out of Compton, which, as anyone who has seen that movie knows, is about the NWA, which Ice Cube was a founding member of. It was written by both Ice Cube and DJ Pooh. Now, DJ Pooh has only written a few different things. He wrote the, film, the independent film The Wash. Um, he has contributed a lot of writing and voices to the Grand Theft Auto series, starting with Grand Theft Auto 4. And he's also... Provided his voice for a few episodes of The Boondocks. It was produced by New Line Cinema as well as distributed by them on a budget of about $3.5 million. The box office this took in was about $27.5 million, which the scale of that is like if you put a movie out there that may that cost you about, I don't know, $100 million to make, and it pulls in a little over. Two billion, something like that. So this is a, <laughs> it's kind of a smaller scale, like what they made off of Endgame compared to what they put into it. So that's that's a pretty substantial amount of money, even if it is a much lower scale. Uh, I said earlier this is basically a lighter side of the hood. Basically, it starts out, it it takes place almost entirely in a small neighborhood, and the main character of Craig, played by Ice Cube, wakes up in the morning. To go about his daily life. He's lost his job. And his best friend Smokey has decided. That not only is he going to get him high. But they're going to kind of relax and not do much. When Smokey actually owes a drug dealer money. And things go from there. When they also get involved with the local neighborhood bully Debo. And it, it's if you haven't seen the movie. By all means. Stop the episode. Go watch it. And come back. Because it's a fantastic movie. As I mentioned before, the lead character, Craig, is played by Ice Cube. 
Now, Ice Cube's, uh, he was known as, you know, the tough guy, the hard guy. The one who wrote the hard lyrics about a hard life, hard look at what life was like growing up. Uh, but he's he's been in a lot of movies since then. And he started off with Boys in the Hood, and then he's also been in Anaconda, Higher Learning. He's been in the Friday series, of course. He's been Ghost of Mars, Barbershop, The Three Kings, 21 Jump Street, Ride Along. And in 2016, he, along with the rest of the NWA, were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Smokey was played by Chris Tucker. Now, Chris Tucker is, without question, best known for this in the Rush Hour series. But he's also been in The Fifth Element and Money Talks. Uh, the female character, Debbie, was played by Nia Long. Now, Nia Long has also been in Boys in the Hood. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, a lot of these guys were in Boys in the Hood. Just, just so you know, a lot of them were in but she was in Boys in the Hood, she was in Love Jones, Soul Food, In Too Deep, Stigmata, and Big Mama's House. Um, if you're not much of a moviegoer but you watch television, you'll recognize her as Will's ill-fated fiance Lisa, in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Pops, the character who's Ice Cube's character's father, was played by the awesome John Witherspoon, who passed away in 2019. Uh, he, John Witherspoon, of course, appeared in Gonna Get You Sucker, the House Party series. Five Heartbeats, Vampire in Brooklyn, Bullworth, he was in Little Nicky, he was in Soul Plane. I believe he provided a voice on Boondocks. John Weatherspoon is one of my favorite actors because he's just so distinctive. And what's really funny is he had an interview on a podcast a few years ago where the guy's like, so now you have a Twitter account. He's like, yes, I have a Twitter account. But I had to get a Twitter account because people were falsely reporting my death. And he's like, I called my son, and I was like, J.J., you got to help me. They, they think I'm dead on the internet. So they had to, they had to make him a, pot, a, a Twitter to prove, no, no, John Witherspoon is not dead. Sadly, he did pass about six months later. The bully character Debo I mentioned earlier was played by Tiny Lister Jr., who passed away in 2020. Now, Tiny Lister was in the, the awful, awful pro wrestling movie, No Holds Barred. And that actually led to a small run in the WWF portraying that character of Zeus where he had a couple of matches at SummerSlam and a couple of the shows. And the match at SummerSlam was one of the worst things I have ever seen. Look, Hulk Hogan is no technical marvel when it comes to professional wrestling. But when you got to work with a six foot six, 270 pound man who has zero wrestling training, it, it just it didn't go well. But... Tiny Lister had also been Universal Soldier, the thin line between love and hate. He was also in the fifth element where he played the president. He was in Jackie Brown. He was also in Little Nicky. He was in Dracula 3000, The Dark Knight, and Zootopia. Uh, most of these films, he was credited as Tiny Lister or Zeus Lister. So, Dana, who is Craig's sister, is played by Regina King. Regina King, of course, like I said earlier, was in Boys in the Hood. Poetic Justice. She was also in Jerry Maguire, How Stella Got Her Groove Back, Mighty Joe Young, Down to Earth, which is a great Chris Rock comedy. And If Beale Street Could Talk, which actually won her an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. Pastor Cleaver, who had a very brief appearance in this film, was played by Bernie Mac, one of the greatest stand-up comedians. I love the Bernie Mac show. He passed away in 2008, Complications from Pneumonia. Bernie Mac is in Above the Rim, Don't Be a Menace, 
I'm not saying the whole title of that film because I don't have that kind of energy. <laughs> he was in Life, which is one of my absolute favorite Eddie Murphy movies. Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve, Ocean's Thirteen. Uh, he was in Bad Santa, Mr. 3000, Old Dogs. He provided a voice in Madagascar 2, and he was also in the first Transformers movie. One of his last movies that was ever released was released after he died. It was Soul Men. He, op he acted opposite Samuel L. Jackson as an old-school soul music duo. And that movie also doubles not only as being the last film that he was in, posthumously released, it was the last thing that Isaac Hayes was in that he was posthumously released. I love South Park. I do not count the episode The Death of Chef because they used sound bites from earlier episodes. The drug dealer of Big Worm was played by Faison Love. Now, Faison Love had his debut as a voice in Bebe's Kids. He was also in The Replacements, which I talked about last week. He was in Blue Crush. Elf, Life as We Know It, and Zookeeper. Now, Faison Love has said before this movie had a tremendous impact on his life, and I will get to that in a little bit. Mama, who was obviously Craig's mother's character, was played by Anna Maria Harsford. She was in a lot of different like independent movies and a lot of movies that have come out from New Line Cinema, like The Fan, Bill, Love Child. She was in St. Elmo's Fire. She was in Set It Off, Along Came a Spider. She also appeared in The Gridiron Gang. Lastly, the local, the local crackhead Isaiah was played by Anthony Johnson, who appeared in Lethal Weapon 3, the House Party series, The Great White Hype, and he was also in Hot Boys. But he's probably best known for having a long-running character on the TV series Martin. Now, in addition to that, uh, Craig's not-faithful girlfriend Joy was played by Paula Jai Parker, who's been in quite a few little things here and there, but mostly in like Hustle and Flow. Uh, noted little person actor Tony Cox who the only way I can say who this guy is is if you've seen Bad Santa he was the elf along with Billy Bob Thornton who played Santa now he was also in Me, Myself and Irene uh, he in a costume was the little minister that tried to marry Beetlejuice and Lydia in the movie Beetlejuice etc he appeared as Mr. Parker the neighbor and husband to the rather adulterous Mrs. Parker, who was played by Kathleen Bradley. Now, Kathleen Bradley was a uh, model on The Price is Right for 12 years. And not only that, she was the first regular black game show model in television history. And she actually, actually lost that job. She sued Bob Barker, but that is a conversation for another time. Uh, DJ Pooh himself does cameo as Craig and Smokey's friend Red. The director, F. Gary Gregg, appears as the convenience clerk when Ezell claims that he fell, he hurt his neck, his back, his neck, and his back. And if Michael Clark Duncan actually made his feature film debut as a craps player, you only see him for a moment, and it is the infamous, you just got knocked up out scene involving Debo, Smokey, and them. I do my level best not to use vulgar language on here when I can avoid it. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, there are some exceptions, of course, like if a character has a vulgarity in his name, like when I did the Tremors episode. I hate, hate that that third evolution is called Ass Blasters, for example. And, of course, when I had Cal on here when we were discussing things, you know, he's one of my best friends. We end up cutting up a little bit. We lose, tra <laughs> we lose track. We, we, we do say some words here there, but generally I try not to. Now, Ice Cube and DJ Pooh... They were largely unhappy with a lot of theatrical depictions of the hood because it was almost always dark, violent, menacing, 
rife with crime, drugs, death, etc. They both grew up in the hood, and while they acknowledge that that is a part of the hood, they had a lot of fond memories of it. Laughing, cutting up with the neighbors. You know, there's light-hearted aspects that you know everybody's there. You, you see people you know no matter what you're doing. And because of that, and Ice Cube had actually been in Boys in the Hood, due to that, he and DJ Pooh decided, you know, we want to try and make a film that shows the other side of living in the hood. Now, Ice Cube at this point had only written two other scripts before, neither of which had ever been picked up. So this is a third one. He kind of felt like, you know, three strikes, you're out. If I want to do, if I don't want to just rap and if I don't want to just act occasionally, if I want to pursue a career writing for something like this, you know, I've got to really do it. So he decided to largely make this ser this movie autobiographical of his life in the hood when he was a kid. I mean, his character being fired is based on his own cousin who got fired from UPS on his day off. Uh, Smokey was based on DJ Pooh's past experience as a drug dealer. However, due to their relative inexperience in writing films, they felt it was very unlikely they'd be able to get any kind of major film studios to help finance and produce and, direct and distribute the movie. They bounced the idea of self-financing it around, even making it in black and white to try and save some money. Uh, Kevin Smith did this with the first Clerks movie and for a while it was one of the most successful independent films to have come out um, full disclosure I don't care for Kevin Smith I like Dogma I enjoy Clerks and Clerks 2 and I like Chasing Amy that's it Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back had some comedy to it but largely was forgettable I had no desire to see Jay and Silent Bob's midlife crisis Kevin Smith is not the end-all, be-all expert on all things nerd culture. If you want to hear someone whose opinion mimics mine, but in a little more of a vitriolic fashion, go over to Cal's Kaiju uh, Carnage podcast that he has about King Kong and Godzilla. Kaiju Carnage, a King Kong and Godzilla podcast. He has started doing episodes where he will review non-Kaiju-related media. He's calling it Kaiju Carnage Presents. His first one that he did is on something he has been a fan of his entire life. He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Because Kevin Smith did a new series that he said was directly for He-Man fans. Cal's got a lot of opinions on that. So if you want to hear more, by all means, tune into his episode on that. Anyway, back to Friday. They were able to get New Line, actually, to agree to finance and distribute. Now, New Line Cinema had had a history with independent films or movies that people felt were not going to be, oh, this won't be that successful. And then it turns out to be a hit. Nightmare Before on Elm Street. Uh, more than any of the others, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That movie was expected to bomb and flop, and it was, for a very long time, the highest-grossing independent film of all time. I think it was that for almost 20 years. So, New Line was probably the best choice they get. However, they had a couple of concessions they wanted. Namely, they wanted someone that had a little bit more experience to play Smokey. Uh, they they they're like that's fine, you know. They they want they were gonna have DJ Pooh being Smokey because the character was largely you know based on DJ Pooh, but they they got it. They're like you know, people know who Ice Cube is. People probably know who John Witherspoon is. They know who Bernie Mac is. They know who a lot of these little actors here and there were, but 
no one really was going to be grabbing the headline of like this is a major actor. So they considered Chris Rock and also Tommy Davidson. Upon seeing Chris Tucker's performance on Def Comedy Jam, DJ Pooh and Cube both immediately were like, "That that's that's Smokey. That's who we wanted." Now at this point in time, Chris Tucker had actually been losing a lot of roles in auditions to D.L. Hughley. And was just about fed up with acting and was considering stopping acting and just doing straight-up stand-up comedy from then on. He was getting very, very discouraged. However, they were able to convince him to go ahead and come in and audition. Because of how discouraged he was, he really didn't put a whole lot of effort into that audition. You know, and it was considered, eh, wasn't that great. However, they were like, look, look, let's give him another shot. He met with... A woman named Angela, I can't remember the, her last name for the life, man, I did not write it down, and I'm sorry about that. But he met with a woman named Angela because she had an acting coach that he was going to talk with and see if he could nail this out. And she said, you don't need that, just come out to dinner with me. They went out to dinner, and they discussed the character of Smokey, like how he would be, how he would act. Because Chris Tucker has smoked weed for a long time as well at this point in his life. And they came up with a little twitch that he does because he smokes uh, angel dust, which is Weed laced with PCP, which if you do that, you will not be right after that. And by the end of the dinner, she was like, you are smoky at this point. You've got this. He went in for a second audition. Absolutely nailed it. New Line did allow Ice Cube to choose the director. That was something that they were allowing him to do. Like they, they had their own concessions, but they agreed to a concession on his end. He wanted to be allowed to choose the director. And he actually went ahead with F. Gary Gray. Now, he had worked with F. Gary Gray on several music videos at this point, and because they had a very similar background, grew up in the hood, they, 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 they got each other. Ice Cube felt that, you know, Gray is going to accurately be able to capture my film's aesthetic and everything that I do. Now, that being said, F. Gary Gray was concerned that Ice Cube would not be taken well in a comedy. This is a man who was looked at as the tough man from N.W.A. This is the guy who... The lyrics that he writes, the rhymes he puts out, they are brutal in their takedown on whether it's police officers, fellow artists, other people that he grew up in the hood. Like, like I don't know if people are going to be able to take this man seriously as a comedy because, you know, he's such a hard-hitting social guy for his cute for his for his music. Obviously, and ended up working out. Um, a lot of the actors they ended up casting had worked with New Line before, and were cast pretty easily in this movie. Uh, Character the play, the actress that played his mom, uh, uh, Anna Maria Harsford, she was actually not the first choice for Mama, but the other woman that had been cast did not show up. So she's like, I guess I just got it on by default. Now, Tiny Lister, he had a little bit of residual fame, like I said, from that WWF run, but he had a really bad audition. You know, he, uh, it's, I don't want to say he didn't take it seriously, but like, the delivery on some of his words, like he would say arguing instead of arguing and things like that. And some of the casting director uh, uh, call guys were like really concerned that he would not be able to, people aren't going to take this guy menacingly enough. They're not going to take him seriously enough. F. Gary Gray countered with this man is six foot six and 275 pounds. Look at his face. He can stand there and look hard as he can be. He is Debo. you got to cast him. <clears throat> so they ended up going ahead with him. Now, face on love auditioned in character as Big Worm. He came in there with the tight, tight perm, chewing on a cigar, and like I said, he came in in character. At one point, 
in the character of this drug dealer, began flirting with one of the casting directors, who was a woman, even going so far as to compliment her feet and talk about some of the things he would want to do to her feet. By the time he left that audition, they're like, that's a big worm. 100% that's a big worm. Uh, Tony Cox was brought in because he had been in the movie House Party. They brought him in for an audition with a, a giantly oversized hat, and he just had him cracking up on that. So like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and go with him. And like I said, they allowed DJ Pooh to play Red, and they had F. Gary Gray playing the convenience store clerk. The really startling thing about this, this movie was filmed in 20 days. If you know anything about filmmaking, that's not a lot of time. It really isn't. Like I, I hate to use Kevin Smith for an example again, but Kevin Smith filmed Clerks in like 22 or 23 days. But it was done with his own like small camera and everything, and it like it was a very, very small production. This had the backing of an actual multi-million dollar studio at the time behind it in New Line Cinema. They gave them 20 days to do it. And... F. Gary Gray knew exactly where they needed to film. The corner of 126th and Normandy Street, which is where he grew up. He was largely used to doing music videos, so shorter time frames to film was not something he was unaccustomed to. But this was his first feature film. He did not know that 20 days was not a lot of time and has looked back on it since and said that if I'd have known then what I know now about making films, I would have told them, you're crazy. 20 days is not enough to get this movie how you want to get it. But because he didn't know that and he didn't have that experience, they just jumped right in with it and just made it how they made it. And it, it worked out really well. I mean, a lot of the actors really didn't get paid all that much for this movie. I mean, for example, John Witherspoon only got paid $5,000 for this movie. Most of them did it because it was fun. They had fun with each other. They had a lot of freedom to improvise. Again, for an example, John Witherspoon, he would never give the same delivery twice. He would he would give his lines at 8 o'clock. They'd go film a couple other things. They'd come back at noon, and they'd want to film that scene again. And he'd give that line a completely different delivery. And they'd kind of be like, well, what the heck? But you'd be, okay, no, you know, never mind. We'll be fine. They'd move on, film some other stuff. Next morning, they'd come back, film a couple things. They'd be like, okay, we want to film this scene again with Pops. And he'd give another delivery for it again. A, a completely different one that third time. They they just, they'd hang out all the time while they were recording. It was a smooth shoot for over 20 days. But, I mean, they'd ride to work together. Uh, Chris Tucker and Faze on Love would smoke weed in the trailer and smoke weed riding to the set in his beat-up old Impala that he had at the time. They went out of their way to try and get as accurate <laughs> types of cars as they could. Like Big Worm drives that orange caddy. You would actually see drug dealers driving things like that in the 90s in South Central LA. You just It was part of the culture. It was part of the neighborhood. It was what it was. Um, there was a shooting a couple of streets over while they were filming. And some of the, some of the crew kind of react kind of weird. And then you've got guys like Ice Cube... Lister and all them just acting normal like that doesn't scare you and they would just be like that's that's normal in the hood it happens you just roll with it they even had members of the crips hanging out just off screen just off set 
because it was fun to watch. I mean, they loved Tiny Lister's portrayal as Debo, and even he would say later in an interview, he's like, I'd get off, we'd cut for the day or we'd cut for the moment, and I wouldn't break character. I'd still ride around on that little bike chasing people around, because we'd have as many as 500 people hanging around out there. And he's like, those gangbangers, they loved me. They knew I liked cookies and milk, not 40s and weed, and they still loved me. It's just, it, it was generally a fun movie for them to make, and they enjoyed it. Uh, I, I lucked out very much so with the research on this episode. Um, normally, I'll go through things like IMDb, Wikipedia. I'll go through Google and find different old news articles about a film. I'll watch special features on the movie, things like that. I had a lot of difficulty finding a lot of information for Friday. I really did. Like, if I'd have gone with just solely what I found off of Wikipedia, IMDb, and the one article that I had read at the time, this episode would have been about eight minutes long, maybe ten minutes long. I was about to give up. And I was like, you know what? I have Googled production on Friday. I have Googled actors on Friday. Let me try something new. I Googled in and searched for how long did production take for Friday? And I found the perfect article and source for this. It was an oral history of Friday. It is a massive group interview where they interviewed every single one of the actors they could find. They interviewed crew members, the director. I found so much awesome information and I feel like I'm glossing over some of it here but that was absolutely a boon and helped me tremendously for this episode by far so I mentioned earlier that phase on love has an <laughs> has an interesting thing about this movie uh phase on love has been in a lot of other movies since Friday you know the replacements he's been in couples retreat a bunch of different movies but more than movies, he also does humanitarian stuff. And that's something that you don't really hear a whole lot about some of these actors. Like, they'll go overseas and they'll visit troops and VA, VA hospitals, things like that. He has a story about going to Africa to help out with some little village that was having some problems here or there. And he said that when they got there, he got out of the truck, and he's got an armful of water and other things. He said he sees a local kid, he can't be much more than 15 or 16 years old, wearing a shirt. It's it's like a Milli Vanilli shirt. And he said the guy looks at me, and he can barely speak English. He starts saying something in his native language, and then he stops and he goes, Big Worm! And he said, and I stopped. I looked at this man, and I said, did this man just call me Big Worm? That's That shows you the impact this film has had on people who have watched it. I mean, it was released on April 26, 1995. It grossed $6.5 million its opening weekend. It was number two at the box office, behind only While You Were Sleeping, and actually ahead of Bad Boys. It had knocked Bad Boys out of the number two spot. I mean, it was released in less than 900 movie theaters and averaged $7,500 per theater. For a grand total of twenty-seven and a half million, all across the world. 
like I said, on a, on a budget of three and a half million, that is a tremendous amount. Like that is nine hundred percent of its budget. Like it, it, it recruit that that's that's insanity. And while it mostly got positive or even average reviews, it has a it has left such a legacy. Like Quentin Tarantino called it one of his twenty favorite films from nineteen ninety two through two thousand and nine. And while that seems like a very odd and specific chunk of time to do that, that's Quentin Tarantino. That doesn't shock me. The man's a bit weird. Uh, mostly, they, like the only real complaints I found about it were they're like at times the story seems a little thin and like it's just there to move things along, which I don't buy that criticism of films because that's what all films should be. They should all be movies where. The story is just trying to move things along. If you don't, you end up with a nine-hour movie like The Tenth Kingdom, which, while that was enjoyable, I had to watch that one in parts. The legacy this movie has left behind. I mean, it's... You know the memes. You know the phrases. Bye, Felicia. You got knocked up out. The, the name of Debo has been christened upon... Countless, innocent, unsuspecting pit bulldogs that white people own. I mean, multiple football players have gotten the nickname Debo. You know, it, it spawned a franchise next Friday, which was all right, and Friday after next, which honestly I think everybody could have done without. An animated series that had eight episodes, which while none of the principal cast returned, Ice Cube did produce it. Look. This is a movie who, if they were determined to make more movies of, like they did, I think it actually would have benefited to go the animated route for next Friday and Friday after next. If for no other reason than the first movie was largely an accurate depiction of what you could see in the hood on any given day. The second and third movies kind of went a little more cartoonish. I mean... Very cartoonish at times. Third one, probably the most so, but I also don't like Cat Williams, so that has something to do with that. Um, I think, like I said, I think it would have been a little bit more successful if they had gone the animated route with the sequels, because they would have had a lot more freedom to do things, a little more, and they also would have been able to continue to keep the characters smoky in the movies. That's been one of people's biggest complaints about the Friday sequels, is that Chris Tucker has never returned after the first movie. I mean, they mentioned Smokey at the beginning of next Friday where Craig said, thinking of his other said that Smokey has gone to rehab. The real reason that Smoke, that Chris Tucker has never returned to the character of Smokey is that Chris Tucker became a born-again Christian shortly after this film came out. Around the time he was in the first Rush Hour movie, he became a born-again Christian. And he does not feel that that subject material accurately represents his belief structure. I can get that. I can understand that. But you're an actor, man. You don't have to be that character to act as that character. And I think that's a point that guys like Ice Cube and them have been trying to get across to him. They have been trying to make one final Friday film for almost 10 years now. It looks like it's actually moving forward in production. And it looks like, indeed, they will actually have Chris Tucker in it. It's going to be called Last Friday. 
I don't know what the storyline is going to be. But they have the opportunity to use something that happened in real life as the genesis for this film. John Witherspoon passed away. John Witherspoon was Pox. For last Friday, why not have everybody come back that can because it's Pops's funeral. And it makes sense to call it Last Friday in that regard. That's just my opinion. I think it'd be good if they did it. I think it'd be a fitting tribute for the man as well. Like I said, if you have not seen Friday, go watch it. Um, if it's not your cup of tea, if that's not the kind of movie you want to watch, I don't blame you if you don't. But I, I greatly enjoy the film. I hate the sequels that have come out of it. Because they just, they they missed on capturing the magic of that first movie. But, it is what it is. Next week, we're going to be going back to animation in a, in a, in a, in a kind of. We're going to start looking at some movies that are by a director that I have actually liked quite a bit for most of my life. We're going to be going to Tim Burton. And we're going to be starting off our very first Tim Burton-themed episode of any kind. We're going to be talking about Corpse Bride. I know a couple of people who that is their absolute favorite Tim Burton movie. It's not my favorite Tim Burton movie. My favorite Tim Burton movie is Edward Scissorhands. But Corpse Ride is absolutely up there. I'm looking forward to talking about it. I'm looking forward to watching it again. My daughter used to love watching it when she was a little, little kid. She has always loved that kind of stuff. Ever since she was able to hold her head up and watch TV, really. So I'm looking forward to it. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode on Friday. And I hope you guys will tune in next week for Corpse Ride. I am Kid Kong. I will see you at the movies.